Earl Gainesville. Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream.
much and are so thankful for uh, the day that we've had. Lord, I, I want to say thank you for the Sunday school hour just a moment ago uh, as we all came together over in the fellowship hall for a time of breakfast uh, and a time of encouragement for one of our own, uh, Bella Quatero. What a great time it was in Sunday school today. And uh, Lord, just a great lesson from Brian Johnson today. It, it just, it meant the world to me uh, to just sit uh, at the feet of, of a teacher of the word and to, to see the passion with which he presented the gospel today and a reminder for all of us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He said it so plainly to us all. There's only one way. There's only one door. There's only one message. There's only one gospel. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we gather in this room today, I look across the room and, and I'm so thankful, Lord, that, that so many in this room have given their life to you. As a matter of fact, God, I, I, I would say that there are many in this room that, oh Lord, they are living for you. They are, they are walking with you. They are praying. They are reading. They're searching. They're sharing. And Lord, they, they know beyond a doubt that they've given their life to you. But Lord, there are others in the room today that, that maybe they came in the door for, for whatever reason. Somebody invited them. They walked in just because, you know, they just felt the need to go to church today. Somebody's online. Somebody's on the radio. I mean, I never say this, Lord, but there could be somebody right now, you know, driving down the streets of Gainesville. And maybe for whatever purpose, they're just hitting that scan button on the radio right now. And my voice is coming through so plainly. And Jesus wants to save them. And that's the joy of the gospel. It's for whosoever will may come. So Lord, I'm praying right now that your name will be magnified, lifted up in all that we do. And if there'd be anybody that doesn't know Jesus, that indeed today would be the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given us. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name, we say these things. Amen, amen. and amen. We are so grateful for your attendance here today. Let's give our online and radio listening audience a big hand today as well. So thankful that you have come to join us for a time of worship at Flat Creek Baptist Church. If it's your first time with us today, we are uh, just beyond blessed to have you here. In the back of your pews, you're going to find a green connections card. If you can take that connections card for us and fill that out on your way out the double doors, you're going to see some greeters there. If you could turn that in for us, we have a gift for you. That's also our way to connect with you during the week. And so please be sure to turn that in. Friends, listen, we have a great day in store a great time of worship right now we like to do this at flat creek we like to greet those around us and say hey to everybody because we're a big family so we're going to ask you stand to your feet right now and greet everybody around you in the name of the lord jesus christ
That's a good word, isn't it? Yet not I, but through Christ to me. We're going to continue with that theme, but I want to, I want to do something uh, that we hadn't done on a Sunday morning in a long time. Y'all see that red book that's in the back of the pew in front of you? Grab that book and turn to page 330. Mr. Jerry, we're just not going to worry about the words on the slides, all right, for this one time, because we're going to sing all four verses. All four verses. Here you go. The praise band is looking at me like, why did you do that to us? We got to remember in the new year to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We make all these promises and resolutions to add stuff or take away stuff, replace stuff, change things in our lives. We can't do any of that. It is Christ through us. It's Christ in us. It's us for Christ. So let's sing this song. Uh, just the voices at the beginning. Just keep us in the key, please. And we're going to do verse one as a cappella as we can. Y'all ready? Here we go. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but
God. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team. I, I told the 8:30 service. I said, "Who knew that we had so much soul up here on stage?" Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Listen, at this time, kindergarten through fifth grade. If you have free registered for Children's Church, you can be dismissed to behind the piano. Miss Breeze and our workers will meet you there. We're so thankful for each child uh, this morning in the 8:30 service while they were singing that song they just sang. 
my little daughter June was sitting right beside me and and uh, and and I just as I often do just kind of got in the in the spirit of praise and had my Bible up like this and just shaking it around and little June she kind of nudged me she said daddy when you put your Bible in the air that's a good thing right and I said yes <laughs> good thing good thing <laughs> good thing uh, Romans chapter number seven Amen. Romans seven is where we're going to be today as we return to this walkthrough of this amazing book of the Bible, uh, we're just kind of coming out of that Christmas season, and it was just the greatest joy, the greatest blessing, and I had the most fun preaching that series of messages across the Christmas season entitled Only Jesus. But I will have to be honest with you and tell you uh, that since we left the book of Romans in mid-November, I have longed to return. And so it is so good to be back in this book today. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through verse number 6. And there the Apostle Paul would say, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. So that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for your word. And Lord, I'm thankful this morning for the worship that we just enjoyed together. Lord, it just kind of set the stage for the preaching of your word. And I'm thankful, God, each and every time that we get to open up this book together. And I'm thankful for a body of believers who are committed to the word of God. Committed to walk through the word of God, word for word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I know uh, that oftentimes we can, we can think to ourselves, I, I want to hear something different. I, I just, you know, I, I want to hear a series or I want to hear a topical message. But Lord, we believe that every single passage, every single word is inspired. And what's amazing to me is that we come to texts like this oftentimes in Romans 7. And Lord, I would probably never open the Bible and preach this text if I'm not walking through this book. And then I read it and I realize it is so convicting. And it is so powerful. And it is so true. And Lord, I know that you have a word for somebody in the audience today. As a matter of fact, if we tune our hearts to you, you have a word for us all. And so, God, I would pray that in this moment, 
You would bind back Satan and his demons from this place. And you would give us ears to hear the word of the Lord. That you would soften our hearts and that we would just hear the inerrant, infallible word unadulterated. May it all be of you. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today we're going to pick up in the book of Romans where we left off when we left off in mid-November. Now in case you may have forgotten where we are in this book of the Bible, let me attempt, if I can, to just briefly give you an overview of the ground that we have covered because it's going to help you to understand what Paul is writing in this chapter of his letter to the church at Rome. So remember that the entire book of Romans is Paul's great treatise and his great defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a doctrinal discourse, if you will, in systematic theology and Christian doctrine. The book of Romans is considered to be the greatest of all Paul's letters. In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul goes in depth to demonstrate why the gospel and the gospel alone is God's eternal message meant to reconcile a lost world to himself. So as we're walking through these chapters of the Bible, you might remember that chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse number 20. If you were to put a heading over that section in your Bible, you would write the word condemnation. Paul teaches us in those first three books of Romans that the entire world is condemned in the eyes of God. Chapter 1, the pagan Gentile. Chapter 2, the overly religious Jew. Chapter 3, the entire world. There is none righteous, no, not one, Paul says. Then picking up in chapter 3, verse 21 through 521, if you were to put a heading in your Bible there, you would write the words justification. God declaring the sinner not guilty in his courtroom through faith in the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might remember chapter 4, verse 5 through 8. The apostle Paul wrote and said, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Friends, because of our unrighteousness, chapters 1 through chapter 3, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And therefore, we need the righteousness of another credited to our account. And this is what God accomplishes in the gospel. And remember that Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, that there are great benefits of our justification. Peace with God, access to God, hope of the glory of God, and the knowledge of the love of God. And then at the end of chapter 5, going into chapter 6, from chapter 6, verse 1 to 839. We haven't gotten there yet to 839, but we will get there in the coming weeks. Those three chapters of the Bible, if you were to put a heading over them, you would write the word sanctification. The means by which God sets apart the believer for his use. It's God's work in our life where he rids us of the old nature and conforms us into the image of his son. 
Now, we were in the depths of the doctrine of sanctification when we took a break for the Christmas season. So we return to this doctrine today, the doctrine of sanctification. Now, in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to battle two dangerous enemies of the true gospel of God. Now, before I give you those two enemies, let me just remind you of how a person is saved according to the Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers. So you might remember this. A person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is why Brian told you in Sunday school, there is one door. Not many doors. There's one door. There's one way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If I haven't told you this lately, I want to tell you this now. You actually had very little to do with your salvation. In fact, biblically speaking, your salvation is totally dependent upon God. He does the work. If at any point in your salvation journey, you can look back and say, I did the work or I made that decision, then grace ceases to be grace and you have something to boast about. Let me remind you of what Romans 4 verse 1 and 2 says. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul emphatically states that not even Abraham can claim that his works render him righteous and justified in the courtroom of God. And who amongst us would claim to be greater than Abraham? See, friends, none of us can stand before God, pound our chest, and say, I deserve heaven, I deserve eternity. Friends, if you could earn your own salvation, and if you deserve your own salvation, then why don't you just ascend into heaven today, walk into the throne room of grace, and ask God to come down off of his throne? Because if you can save yourself, you must be God in the flesh. In biblical salvation, God does the work. Therefore, let me relieve you of any burden that you carry in the room today. Stop trying to please God through your religiosity. Just come and rest in his finished work. Now saying that, let me give you the two enemies of the cross, which have been prevalent in the church since his foundation. The first enemy is found in Romans chapter number 6. It's the enemy known as antinomianism. Antinomianism. Now, I know that's a big word and it sounds scary, but it really breaks down pretty simple. Anti-against. Nomos in Greek means law. Against the law. It's a heresy which says that Christians are freed by grace from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. And here's the thought process. If the law cannot save me, so it has nothing to do with my works... And if salvation is totally dependent upon God in his unmerited favor, then after salvation, it reasons out that I'm free from any allegiance to the law to do and live as I want to live. After all, grace is free. Grace overflows. God will always forgive me. And even Paul says in Romans 5 verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So somehow, some way, my grace actually brings, or, or my sin actually brings glory to God because it makes him send down more grace, which in turn demonstrates to the world his loving mercy, his compassion, and his grace 
towards sinners. That's antinomianism. Friends, this idea is dangerous. And it's a tactic of the enemy to subject you to your former way of life. The idea that your liberty in Christ somehow now leads to your license to live any way you please. Paul destroys antinomianism in Romans 6, 1 through 23. But he sums it all up in the first two verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Absolutely not. In the Greek, God forbid it. Friends, if you are here today and you are one of those people who have succumbed to this tactic of the enemy, sinning over and over and over again and thinking it's okay, God is just going to forgive me anyway, I have one word for you. Repent. Repent. And walk away from that evil heresy that the enemy is speaking into your ear. It's not of God. But now there's a second enemy of the cross, which is also prevalent in the church. It's equally as dangerous, although on the surface, it smiles at us and it winks at us as it parades itself down the aisles of almost every church for the last 2,000 years. Somehow, we think that this thought or this way of living somehow actually pleases God. And that's the enemy or the heresy known as legalism. Now, I want you to listen to me. I did not say traditionalism. That's different. Traditionalism is when someone's worship is hindered unless certain traditions are kept. It's like Caleb bringing out the Red Book hymnal this morning. No, no, no. Listen to me. I'm not getting on him. What I'm saying to you is you might come in the door and you might say, well, unless we sing out of that Red Bag hymn book, I can't worship. That's traditionalism. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is legalism. Legalism is Paul's subject in Romans 7. Legalism is equally as dangerous as antinomianism. The idea that adherence to the law of God wins God's favor and approval, even going so far as to marry grace and works together, saying that a little bit of both is where salvation is actually found. Friends, the essence of legalism is trusting in a religious activity rather than trusting in God. It's putting our confidence in a practice rather than putting our faith in a person. Just as antinomianism is dangerous because it encourages a life of immorality, legalism is dangerous because it severs you from Christ. Because you're seeking to be justified by the law and Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, you have fallen from grace. Legalism puts demands upon the individual that Christ never intended to be placed upon you and misses the entire spirit of the law. I was thinking this week of how to illustrate legalism. And I, I could not think of any way to illustrate legalism in the church. And then I remember this one little thing that's happened in my life. And I hate to make an illustration about myself. But, but I, want to, I, want to just, I want to give you this uh, because it deals with my parents. Now, they were here at the 830 service. And when I said this deals with my parents and legalism, I saw both of them wince. They got nervous. What is he going to say? But here's what I want to say to you. When I was a kid, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I grew up in a very traditional Southern Baptist house. 
And I, I grew up in a, in a family that you would say was very, quote unquote, religious. In a good way, not in a bad way, in a good way. And when it came to Sunday, there were some laws that were spoken in our house that we just knew. And one of those laws was this. You cannot fish on Sunday. As a matter of fact, if you fish on Sunday, you will be miserable and you won't catch anything. Amen. <laughs> you know, Mike, that's exactly what my daddy said in the 830 service. <laughs> Amen. My whole life, my whole life, I'm 41 years old. I've been fishing on Sunday one time. I was 14 years old. I begged my daddy, please let me go fishing. Please. And he said, you'll be miserable. You're not going to catch anything. I said, please, daddy, let me go fishing. So he let me go fishing. I caught more fish that day than I ever. No, 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 no. That's not true. I actually was. I was miserable. I didn't catch a thing. It's the only time that I've ever been fishing on Sunday. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up to say this. It's not the, it's not the, the law that's bad. Okay? Now, hear me. It's not the law that's bad. It's when we believe that that law somehow makes us holy. So if I don't go fishing on Sunday, but Caleb does, now I'm more holy than he is. And in so doing, what we do is we miss the whole heart behind it. Why did my daddy say, don't fish on Sunday? Why did my daddy say, don't cut your grass on Sunday or all your grass is going to die? Which I still don't cut my grass on Sunday either. It's the heart behind it. He said, set aside the entire day so that your focus will be solely on Christ Jesus and nothing else. That's the heart behind it. But when I begin to impose that law upon every one of you and say that if you don't live up to it, somehow you don't have God's approval, well, now I've missed the whole point. Elizabeth Elliot once said, she, she once said, Will it come to pass that one day what sounds normal in the Christian church will sound absurd to another follower of Christ years from now? You see, legalism will lead a person into three dangerous sins. Number one, legalism will lead to pride. Legalism encourages us to boast about our own accomplishments. It encourages us to believe that my works and my efforts are what brings God's favor. Therefore, if prosperity and blessing are upon me, then I must be doing something right. My works have somehow impressed God. And because of that, his blessing now is upon me. Friends, legalism always focuses on performance and performance always leads to pride. A second dangerous sin is a critical spirit. Do you want to know how to recognize people who are trying to live by the law, who are caught up in legalism? They cast a scornful eye at everybody who doesn't live up to the standard of holiness that they're imposing upon others. They become very critical. Critical of what others wear. Critical of what others drink. Critical of where others go. Have you noticed that there's just something about the law that just makes us judge other people? We, we can be blind to our own error, yet have our eyes wide open to the faults of others. The third dangerous sin that is born out of legalism, and that's hypocrisy. 
because we're intent on trying to live up to the law and we know that we're not meeting the law subscribed standards there's a temptation to appear like we're meeting them in front of other people so we put on this face of holiness all the while knowing that our true self is wrapped up in all kinds of sin friends legalism has reared its ugly head in the church since the days of Christ even Christ had to deal with legalists. You might think of Mark chapter 7. And in Mark 7, Jesus' disciples are eating their bread with unwashed hands. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they come to Jesus and they say, What is this? Do you not recognize that your own disciples are eating with unwashed hands? And because of that, they're cut off from the temple? And it's only going to be restitution of some kind that allows them to go back. Jesus combated their accusation and said, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. In other words, Jesus was telling them, you are missing the entire heart of the law. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. Mark 3, you might think of another man who had a withered hand. And this man lived in constant pain. This deformity caused him great discomfort. And one day he's in the synagogue. And everybody in the synagogue sees him, including Jesus. And Jesus brings the man with the withered hand to the front of the room in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. To the legalists, they're wanting to know what's Jesus going to do here because it's the Sabbath day, truly, surely, he can't heal him. And Jesus says in Mark 3, 4, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent, and Jesus healed the man. For as the Bible tells us in Mark 3, is at that moment, they sought in their heart to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. They would not have cared if Jesus healed the man the day before, or if Jesus healed the man the day after. But the fact that he healed the man on the Sabbath, they were enraged at him. To this, Jesus would simply say, God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And friends, even after the Lord Jesus was resurrected, the early church, strict adherence to the law of Moses and the covenant of circumcision became hot debating points inside the church. There were those who were saying in Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. And there were others who were saying, no, that's too easy. You must also Keep the law of Moses. You must also be circumcised in order to be saved. In other words, they were saying it's Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. This is the way in which you were saved. And friends, this has come down through the ages for the last 2,000 years where today there are entire Christian denominations which are born out of the mindset of legalism. Just as there's danger on the one side as heresies abound over our liberty in Christ, so there's dangers on the other side as heresies abound over legalism in the body of Christ. And this is what Paul is actually battling in Romans 7. He's battling those people who say that grace alone is not enough. That it must be Jesus plus this. Jesus plus that. Jesus plus something. That's what Paul is arguing against in Romans 7. So he begins with what I want to call a practical principle. 
Just listen to verse 1. It's very practical, something that they would understand and agree to and something that all of us would understand and agree to. And let me remind you that the book of Romans is written to the church. Paul is speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. Two times in these six verses, he's going to say the word brethren. And it's key that we understand his audience. Because what he's arguing here is something that he assumes we already know. Listen to what he says in 7.1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now that's simple. And it's something we would all agree with. But in case you don't understand what he's saying there, just imagine for a moment that somebody commits a crime. And the legal authorities, they want him for prosecution. They want him for possible imprisonment. The police, they go search high and wide for this certain criminal. And when they finally find the individual, that person has died. At that point, they drop all concerns about trying this individual with any criminal charges. The police no, bother, no longer bother with him because the law only has jurisdiction over a person while he is alive. This is Paul's principle. The law only has authority over you while you are living. Now, you may be stuck. And you may be thinking to yourself, how does, how does this reason out to be an argument against Christian legalism and an argument for the freedom we have in Christ? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians chapter 3, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Galatians 2, 19 through 20 specifically. Or excuse me, Galatians... Chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. Now, Galatians 2.20 is one of those verses we all know. As a matter of fact, I, I have this on a, on a board in my office. Galatians 2.20. It's, it's my life verse. It might be your life verse too. But like John 3.16 and so many other verses that we know so well, oftentimes we forget that it has verses before and verses after. Meant to show us what these verses actually mean. So I want you to listen to Galatians 2, 19 through 21. Paul says, For through the law I have died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now listen to verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Friends, Paul assumes that his biblically astute audience will understand they are no longer under the law because they have died with Christ. The law only has mastery and jurisdiction over us while we are alive. But since we have died with Christ, we are free indeed. Freed from the law by our death in Christ. The law of Moses and any other law that someone tries to impose upon you is only good while we are alive. But dead people are released from the law. Friends, if we subject ourselves again to a yoke of slavery and believe in anything other than in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, then the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, died needlessly. Amen. In fact, God would be the most heinous 
and fearful of all persons, if he knew that salvation could be earned by our efforts, and yet he still sent forth his son to die on the cross of Calvary. If God knew that we could save ourselves and he sent Jesus to shed his own precious blood, then that makes God sadistic. A bloodthirsty God and everything was in vain. Why did Jesus have to die if we could save ourselves? But what does the book of Romans teach us? We know that Jesus did not die in vain. Jesus paid the penalty that was due you and me. Go back to Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 21. What does he say there? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, being justified as a gift, a gift, not works. You, you, don't, you don't earn a gift. Amen. A gift is given freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus did not die in pain. Jesus paid the penalty that was due to us. Therefore, when we are crucified with him, the law no longer has jurisdiction over us. We are free indeed. Now to help us understand, Paul gives us secondly an understandable illustration. An understandable illustration. This is going to be verse 2 through verse number 4. Now lest we get off track, we must understand that what Paul is about to write is in no way his definitive work on marriage. As a matter of fact, Paul is only using marriage here to illustrate his point. He dives into marriage, roles in marriage, and even divorce in other New Testament books. Here, he's simply using marriage to drive home his point, and it becomes a beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ. This is now going to be the third time that Paul gives us an illustration to show us the depth of our unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, verse 1 through 11, he teaches us that we are unified or united with Christ through baptism. Namely, that we are united with Christ through baptism as it pertains to his death and being raised to walk in the newness of life. Chapter 6, 12 through 23, he teaches us that we are united with Christ as a slave is united to his master or subject is under the dominion of his king. Now in chapter 7, verse 1 through 6, he teaches us that we are united to him as being likened unto a marriage. Verse number 2, listen what he says, Romans 7. For if the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. Friends, if there is one principle of marriage that could be drawn out of this text, it would be this. That marriage is supposed to be for life. When God gave us marriage, it was to be between one man 
one woman for life. There are those who say you should never use the D word in your marriage. Me and Summer use it all the time. Not divorce, death. <laughs> Only death will separate this union. When death occurs, the woman in the illustration Paul uses is now free to be married to another. Now listen to verse 3. Verse 3, what does he say? You see, before moving on, before moving on, he's going to give us another very important lesson, one that all legalists need to hear. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. This is what Paul says. To those of you who are trying to marry the law with grace, to those of you who are trying to impose a strict adherence to the law of Moses as the means by which a person is saved, to those of you who are saying don't taste, don't touch, don't wear, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't dance with girls who do. To those who are trying to live up to some religious code devoid of grace, Paul says, you are committing spiritual adultery. On the one hand, you claim to be a part of the bride of Christ. You say you've been married to him. But on the other hand, you're still holding the hand of the law. And just as a woman who is married to her husband and he's still alive and she then joins herself to another man is an adulteress, Paul says, so are you. The end of verse 3, what does he say? But if her husband dies... She is free from the law, so she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Paul is simply reiterating here what he said in verse 2. If the husband dies, the woman is free to be joined to another. Now, you listen closely to verse 4. Because verse 4 is where it gets really deep and it gets really rich. Therefore. Now, remember, any time that we see therefore in the scriptures, we must ask the question, what is it therefore? I think I say this right. Sharon Qualls is here. It's a conjunctive adverb. I had to write her a text the other day and ask her, is, what, what is the uh, uh, therefore? It's a conjunctive adverb. A conjunctive adverb is taking everything into account that you just heard. All these things now follow. Therefore, my brethren, therefore, the church, therefore, the saved, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Now, you got to break that down so you don't get confused. Notice what the text does not say. The text does not say that the law was made to die through the body of Christ. That's not what Paul says. The law did not die. Because let me remind you this morning, the law is not the bad guy. The law is holy. The law is good. The psalmist says the law is actually a delight, and it is. The law did not die. As a matter of fact, the law is for our benefit. Galatians says that the law is a tutor which is meant to point us to Christ. The law didn't die. Who died? You died through the body of Christ. The law is not the bad guy. You are the bad guy. Being released from the jurisdiction of the law is not being released to live any way you please. Being released from the law means that you have been released from the penalty of the law. 
And what is the law's penalty? The law's penalty is death. Therefore, for just requirement of the law to be met, your sins must be paid for in full. A death must occur. And this is what Jesus did on your behalf. He died in your place. He was your substitute. Jesus fulfilled the law for you and he died. Therefore, your relationship to the law as a means by which you earn your salvation has ended because a death has occurred on your behalf. However, in the wisdom of God, he did not leave you a widow. You see, if Jesus only died, if he only fulfilled the requirements of the law, he died and was placed in a tomb. Well, now you can be married to any other religion. He didn't leave you a widow to just go and choose whatever you want. Instead, what does the Bible say? So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God, he was raised from the dead. And now you've been joined to him. That word for joined in the Greek, it literally means you have been married to him. Just as a husband is married to the wife and this is for life, so you are married to Christ. And guess what? It's greater than just this life. It's eternal life. Why? Because Jesus overcome the grave. He will never die again. So when you enter into this relationship with him, it will never be severed. It will last forever. You want to talk about eternal security? Amen. The Lord Jesus will never divorce his bride. And the Lord Jesus will never die again. And so for those of you who are caught up in legalism, or caught up in trying to marry the two together, let me ask you a question. Why are you joining hands with a corpse? That old man that was bound to the law and did nothing for you but separate you from a holy God and cause you to do things that you're now ashamed of and ultimately brought the penalty of death and hell upon you. Do you really want to pull him out of the grave and be married to him again? Understand that by virtue of binding yourself once again to the law as a means of salvation, you are trampling on grace in the same way as those who say God's grace will abound so I will live as I want. You are trampling on grace because in essence you're saying grace is not enough. There must be something more. This is way too simple. By submitting yourself again to this religious system, you're submitting yourself to an endless pursuit of trying to live up to a law that you have already failed to live up to and you're damned because you're saying that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is not sufficient to procure my salvation. Friends, Paul wants you and me to, to have liberty to have freedom in Christ. I want you to have freedom in Christ. God wants you to have freedom in Christ. To let go of your works. And to understand that you will never win his approval by the things you do. He has done all the work. Just like a bride who waits patiently for her groom and finds safety and security in him. So now come to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
find safety, find security, find protection, find provision, find everything you need in him. If you are saved today and you have said, I do to Jesus, understand that at that very moment you said, I don't to self. You have been joined to him. You have been married to Christ to now live a life in liberty, to live free in Christ, to bear fruit for God. Why would you ever go back? So what Paul is going to finish with, this spiritual application. Verse 5 and verse 6. I mean, what a truth this is, right? I mean, this is beautiful. That's why I tell Caleb the other day, I call him in my office, and I say, man, this is, when it comes to the Apostle Paul, like his, his, his mind, you're, you're plumbing the depths of the minds of a genius. This is beautiful. These six verses, it's one of the greatest sermons that probably he ever wrote. He gives this spiritual application, this practical principle. And, and listen to what he says in verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, meaning before we came into this union with Christ, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, once again, Remember, the law is not simple. We are. The law only highlights our sin and makes us aware of our standing before a holy God. These sinful passions were at work in the members of our body. And what did they do? They bore fruit for death. Our guilt compounded and compounded and compounded in the eyes of God. In his courtroom, the list of indictments against us are as long, as high, as wide and deep as the universe itself. What sin are you not guilty of? The law we're trying to live up to in order to find ourselves righteous in the eyes of God became for us the prosecuting attorney. Not only were we guilty, but the law sought the death penalty against us both physical and spiritual. And what does Paul say in verse 6? But now. I mean, don't you love those conjunctions of the Apostle Paul? I mean, any time I see a little conjunction like that in the text that Paul writes, I, I, I just imagine him writing these things under the inspiration of, spirit, of the Spirit. And he's writing and he's writing. And he's talking about the condemnation of the law and all this guilt is weighing down on him. And then, and then I believe that the inspiration of the Spirit just, just turned his focus and said, let me remind you of the gospel. And I believe that a smile just came across his face. And I believe that his heart began to race a little faster and his blood pressure probably went up. As he says, but now, but now, my dear brother and sister, we have been released from the law. That, that system that used to shame us, that system that used to condemn us, we've been released from it. How? Having died to that which we were bound being crucified with Christ. This is a glorious truth. These things that we used to religiously do only condemned us. Death was our just penalty, but in Christ, death has died, and we now serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Let me remind you of this. The law brought death, but the spirit brings life. Before, you and I worked endlessly and aimlessly and were condemned. But when we were crucified with Christ, the spirit of the living God moved in. And now we are alive in Christ. Therefore, the things we now do are supernaturally empowered by him. We no longer serve. We no longer work. 
We're no longer doing things in order to be found righteous. We are righteous through the imputation of Christ's righteousness to our account. Therefore, we are free to serve him. Not as a means of our salvation, but as a means to bring glory to God. Before, everything we did was for our own benefit. But now everything we do is to make him known and to bring glory to his name. So what David Platt says. David Platt said, I am convinced that many, probably most Christians, at least in the church culture of America, are missing it at this point. Most Christians are trying to live the Christian life in the flesh, in their own power, in their own strength, instead of in the new way of the Holy Spirit. Platt goes on to say, when you put your faith in Jesus, you weren't just forgiven of your sins so that you could go to heaven in eternity. Yes, that is true and praise God for it. But you weren't just forgiven of your sins that moment. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you have the supernatural Holy Spirit of God living in you right now. If you are a follower of Jesus, that changes everything. You do not live in the flesh anymore. Nor do you do anything in your own strength or in your own power. Brothers and sisters, when you are filled with Christ, you no longer pray in the flesh. You no longer read your Bible in the flesh. You no longer worship in the flesh. You pray in the spirit. You read the Bible in the spirit. You worship in the spirit. You obey God in the spirit. You proclaim the gospel to others in the power of the spirit. What the church needs is for the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. To transform the way we think, to transform the way we feel, to transform the things we desire, to transform the things we want. We need the Holy Spirit to change our perspective, to transform our entire outlook on life, to empower us to live according to the book, to empower us to share the gospel. We want everything in our lives to be spirit-led. We want our worship to be spirit-led. We want our time in the word to be spirit-led. We want our prayer life to be spirit-led. We want our marriages to be spirit-led. We want our parenting to be spirit-led. We want our lives at work to be spirit-led. We want our lives at school to be spirit-led. We want our missionary journeys to be spirit-led. We want to live as people who are serving in the new way of the Spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel to the people around us all the way to the ends of the earth. If you are here today and you have said, I do to Jesus, don't go back. Bind yourself to a system of law that cannot save. Walk freely in him and enjoy the abundant life that only he can give. But perhaps you're here today and you've just never come to that conclusion for you. It can't be that simple. It can't just be Jesus plus nothing. You say, well, it's got to be Jesus plus this. It's got to be Jesus plus that. It's got to be Jesus plus something. It, it can't be that simple. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone.
Jesus is enough. So stop trying to earn your salvation or to please Him by the things you do and just rest in the cross. That's it. You've been freed from this system of legalism that you've tried to live up to your whole life. You're free to serve Him in the newness of the Spirit. What could be greater? So with heads bowed and eyes closed today, first of all, I talk to those who are in the room who are born again and who are saved. You know, even for us, oftentimes in our walk with Christ, we begin, can begin to believe we're not doing enough. I get that way. I can't tell you how many times during the week I tell Summer I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not sharing the gospel enough. And, and what I'm doing in those moments is I'm, I'm, I'm really falling back into a system of works. Not that we shouldn't do those things. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, 9, and 10 that we are saved for good works. So we should do those things. But those things are not what's saved. And those things are not what procure God's favor upon me. I just have to rest in Christ. If you're here today and you are already saved, just take that burden off of yourself. And just come to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and serve. Go and do in His name. And enjoy the liberty and the peace and the freedom that only He can give. But perhaps you're in the room today. You've never given your life to Christ. And you are like so many others. If I were to ask you the question right now, why would you go to heaven when you die? If you were to answer that question and say, well, it's because I was a good person. Or I didn't cuss that much. Or I didn't steal that much. Or I obeyed my parents. I, I never used the Lord's name in vain. Who are you relying on? You're relying on yourself. And you can't save yourself. The Bible says we need a Savior. So today, if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I've been relying on myself for my salvation my entire life, but today I want to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. I need to be saved. Well, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. As Brother Brian said just a little bit ago in Sunday school, whosoever believes, whosoever, that's you, friend. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you make a bold statement of faith in just a moment? We're going to sing this song, I Surrender All. Would you lay down your works? Would you lay down your efforts and just truly submit to the Lordship of Christ? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you to take a really bold step. To step out of the pew that you're seated in right now and to step into the aisle. And to walk down here to the front and take me by the hand. And boldly proclaim, today is the day I need to be saved. If you feel the spirit tugging at your heart we're going to ask you to come as we stand to sing i surrender all father this moment of the hour is certainly dedicated to you as you invite people to yourself this is your invitation you come brother caleb if you'll stand
a wonderful day here at Flat Creek Baptist Church, 8.30 service, Sunday school, 11 o'clock service. A wonderful day. Uh, listen, we are just marching right into 2024. This is a big month. Uh, please don't forget, not next weekend, but the weekend following is going to be Missions Weekend. So you need to make sure you're with your Sunday school classes, finding out what missions projects you're going to be doing, because that is a big weekend for all of us as we're going to be getting out the walls of the church on that Saturday to go and be the body of Christ in our community. So please be looking forward to that. And uh, that's going to be a big weekend. Listen, if you are here today visiting with us, please don't forget to swing by our connections desk. It's just beside the double doors and turn that connections card in for us. That's our way to come alongside of you and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So please do that today. Also, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online at flatcreekchurch.net or you can also give on your way out the door to the ushers that'll be stationed there. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for coming and being a part of Flat Creek Baptist Church. Brother Caleb, I'm going to ask you to close us with a word of prayer and this will be your benediction. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity just to worship you together this morning and to humbly come to receive a message so that we may better glorify you, better serve you, and better proclaim you to all the nations that we might find ourselves encompassed around. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we go our separate ways. Thank you for this word this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. Hey Georgia, looking for quality, affordable health insurance? At GeorgiaAccess.gov, there are many great ways to find a plan that meets your needs and budget. Open enrollment begins November 1st. Georgia Access, your health, your way.
get me to go wrong I just speak right up to him Don't you know I'm not my own I can't do the things he wants Cause I really can't afford No, you can't serve two masters So I chose to serve the Lord I'm not my own anymore I've been bought with a price Precious blood that was shed on Calvary God gave his only son Sacrifice for everyone I'm not my own anymore I've been bought with a price Jesus rescued me Paid a debt to buy my soul The devil had me bound But he had to let me go I'm so glad I served the Lord Cause in him I stand so free Nothing on this 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.